Welcome to another edition of The Best Business Mind, hosted by serial entrepreneur and author Mark Kramer. Tune into The Best Business Minds to listen to thought-provoking interviews with best-selling business book authors who are today's leading innovators, entrepreneurs, and industry experts from around the globe. Welcome to another edition of The Best Business Minds, where we interview business leaders and academics that write thought-provoking books. I'm Mark Kramer, a serial entrepreneur who consults with family businesses and entrepreneurs. Today, we are lucky to have with us Pam Didner. Pam is the author of two books called The Effective Sales Enablement and Global Content Marketing. Welcome, Pam. Yeah, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. Can you please tell us a little bit about your background, how you went from being an accountant to a global <laughs> marketer and sales leader? Yeah, it's actually a, a twisted uh, path, if you will. Yes, I started as a, a CPA, finance and accounting. And uh, then later I joined a company called Intel. You know, it's kind of a small company. And uh, at a time, they encouraged people to uh, move around. And I obviously have a chance to actually uh, move from the finance and accounting down to operations, manufacturing, and the supply chain management. And so I got the chance to actually see the whole um, aspect of the company, if you will. And then it's more kind of like a twist of fate. And uh, one of the manager I reported to actually started doing event operations. And then uh, he asked me if I'm interested to actually join him. And I say, yeah, sure. sounds like fun, right? Events. And then I did that for five years. And then from there, I kind of steadily uh, going to the, the marketing path. And that somehow led to me leaving Intel and uh, writing uh, some of my experience um, doing enterprise marketing at um, at Intel. So the first book that you mentioned, which is a global content marketing, how to scale content across the region, is really uh, some of the learning, if you will, that I picked up when I was working in corporate and I put in a framework and summarized that learning and share that with everybody. So that's pretty much the highlight. <laughs> well, I thought one of the interesting things I read in your book was that you were influenced by Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I was speaking actually in Europe and um, one of my bucket list was actually to visit uh, Luwa Valley. And uh, I know some of your listeners, including you, Mark, you probably know there's a lot of very beautiful chateaus over there. And um, I visited one actually uh, in Ambras. And then I saw a sign basically say, hey, you know, this way it leads to the last residence of Da Vinci. So I went there and that was pretty much a kind of very nice uh, little uh, chateau, if you will. And uh, they, they kept the living environment pretty much the same um, as 500 years ago. So I walk around and I saw some of their drawing, I mean, his drawing, if you will. And it was very, very fascinating um, that how his imagination goes. And uh, there's uh, flying machines, there is, um, you know, um, the, the gum, the, 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 the automobile, that his, his, his vision. And at the time I was standing there and looking at that, I was like, you know what? Those are products that we can sell <laughs> or we can market. And uh, then I started thinking, um, if I were part of that team and trying to help him sell those products or market those products, what would I do? And that somehow uh, led to the inception of my second book, which is that that you read. <laughs> yeah, I, and both books are great and I got a lot of good takeaways from it. 
So there's a lot of people who listen to the show yeah. who are entrepreneurs, C-suite level people. Sure. And I still think that a lot of people still have a different difficulty uh, understanding the difference between marketing and sales. What would you say is the difference? Um, yeah. So in general, if you think about it, um, in a company, right, everybody, we strive for the same business goal, which is uh, increase the revenue and also drive the growth. So the goal on the top is pretty much the same. But once you uh, break that down to a different function, everybody does things a little bit differently to achieve that goal. And uh, for example, marketing, they focus on the top of the funnel and the sales tend to focus on the bottom of the funnel to close the deals, right? And then the marketing tend to more like, oh, you know what, let's talk about the brand, let's talk about awareness, and the marketing and the sales is about close, 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 that's close the deals. And the marketing tend to talk about the customers, like IT managers, right, consumers, and then salespeople talking about accounts, like specific company that they want to tackle. So do you see the differences between the two, how that the marketing and sales kind of approach uh, the customers a little bit differently? Because they approach the customers a little bit differently and uh, the action, their behavior, the objectives will tend to be a little bit different. And uh, so if you started like your approach or the get-go is a little bit different. And then once you started implementing, it started diverging even more. And that, that's why there's a lot of problem between sales and marketing alignment, especially on the, uh, in the enterprises. Um, but um, if you understand the differences and you acknowledge that and you find a solution to bring them together, there are ways to do that. You know, smart companies, the people, especially the salespeople realize that marketing sets them up for success. That's marketing's right. job is to make sales job a lot easier by creating yes. that awareness so that when they call on somebody, somebody actually knows who the hell they are and why they're calling them. And now if they're really interested, it allows sales to do their thing to close that sales. I, I, I'm wondering now, how have the two functions changed due to the pandemic? Yeah, that's actually a great question, Mark. Um, what I have seen, the changes happen that especially on the sales side, and um, if you think about it, for the longest time, the sales are very accustomed to visit their customers and also attend uh, the conferences or the um, uh, main the, the booth, right? The trade show booth. That's how they kind of interact and get the potential customers. Um, but now uh, that, that whole opportunity was taken away just because of the pandemic. Now uh, the sales are forced to be online. Like you, if you want to sell to a customers, right? You want to do a sales pitch, you have to do it online. And that same thing happened for, um, uh, for marketers, right? There's a lot of events that was happening and that there was actually a lot of a customer events that they have to do for the sales team that has been taken away, kind of forced them to actually do a lot of online and virtual communication. And um, the thing about online or virtual communication is we cannot touch each other, right? Like Mark, I can see your uh, uh, impression, uh, the facial expression, but sometimes it's very hard for me to gauge like your body language, unless that we are next to each other or face to face. So that creates some sort of barriers actually for the sales and marketing team. And uh, it forced them to actually think a little bit differently, how they should approach their customers and also what kind of content they need to uh, complement and also enhance that virtual communications. What do you mean by sales enablement? You write that in your That's book. That's a great question. Sales enablement, um, 
it's really, if you think about it, this term was actually fairly uh, recent. Based on my research, I might be totally off, but uh, that the term was invented, I think, in the early 90s. Um, no, actually, early 80s, 1980s uh, in IBMs because they are selling this big mainframe. The product is very, very complicated and it's very hard for the salespeople to explain what the mainframe will do for their customers. So the term comes like, what can we do to enable the salespeople to sell the products? What can we do? You know, what should they say about this specific product? Because the product is very complicated. So then um, over a period of time, that term was morphed, especially in the 90s and the 2000s, as sales onboarding and the sales training. Like with a lot of technology companies that actually uh, blossom in the past 20 years or so, that uh, we are creating and inventing product using technology. We are creating the usage that uh, the customers have never thought of. And uh, you have to educate the customers what your product will do. And uh, that's sales onboarding and sales training. In a way, it's kind of sales education, right? And the way I look at the sales enablement nowadays is that term has been expanded, right, to the marketing side as well. Right. There's a lot of things that we do as a marketer that we need to enable our sales team, not just the sales onboarding and sales training part of it. Like we do a lot of email uh, marketing outreach. Well, you know what? Salespeople use, uh, e uh, they do the mini email outreach as well. They use email extensively. How can we create the templates to make them more efficient, for example? So the way I look at sales enablement is broader, not just onboarding and the training, is what sales uh, marketing can do to better support support the sales team, leverage uh, the existing marketing elements that we have. So in the book, you write about sales team's efficiency. How do you accomplish them being more efficient? I mean, there are certain companies like you work for Intel. I think those things automatically sell themselves and also they already built such an efficient <laughs> machine or Bloomberg or, you know, almost any super well-known brand name product, the salesperson comes in. And IBM, right? Like an IBM salesperson rarely ever left yeah. without getting the sale because IBM used to say, if you uh, go with IBM, you'll never get fired. And that was true. Exactly. That was actually a very nice yeah. <laughs> Mark, what you are looking is a very well-known brand, right? And, uh, but let's look at the mid-sized company. Let's look at the small business. Let's look at uh, the startup that they, they have to try to build them up. Right. And then the salespeople, they need to be efficient because a lot of time, if your brands are not well known and or is very niche in a specific industry, uh, you need to actually train your salespeople and salespeople needs to spend a lot of time educating or looking for prospects. Right. Like salespeople, as far as I know, they spend four or five hours a day right, uh, looking for the prospect and to find a way to actually talk to their customers. So because they spend so much time sometimes looking for prospects or trying to find the content that they need, and I always think what can marketing do to actually help them so they can spend less time looking for content or they can spend less time thinking about what will be the talking points. So that's when, when you are talking about, you know, how to make them efficient, that's the little things I'm thinking about. What can we do to actually make their job a little bit easier? Is it important for marketing people to go out on sales calls? And when they do, what should they be learning when they go out on those sales calls? Oh yeah, it's very important. And um, 
it took me a long time to um, find a way <laughs> to support my sales team better. And um, when I started, I think like a marketer and uh, I always like, oh yeah, this is the piece of content I created. You should use it, right? That kind of mentality really doesn't apply to on the sales side, to be honest with you. You need to think, you need to have a sales mindset. You need to understand how they think and also how they communicate with their customers and also prospects. That the way they communicate is always needs to facilitate or uh, talk about how to move the salespeople to the next stage. I mean, the customers to the next stage, like closer and closer to uh, win the deals. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if you... Yeah, <laughs> if you actually go on the sales call with them and uh, you can sit there, you know, be, your, be a, a, a scribe, a note taker, right? And then um, listen to their conversation, how their conversation go, and also how salespeople present themselves and share the content. What kind of stuff they usually pull out to actually share that? Or um, how did the conversation, what did uh, topics and questions that the customers usually ask? So when you attend the calls like that, you get a sense in terms of like, what are some of the pressure points or the pinpoints that salespeople encounter? At the same time, you get the firsthand information, the type of questions or the concerns that your customers have. What, what entrepreneurial companies, for entrepreneurial companies, what's the best online sales tools to use? Online sales tool in general, um, the basic number one tool that every company should have is CRM, which is customer relationship, um, CRM, customer relationship management, right? It's the tool that uh, when salespeople go out and doing something or they're using that tool and to send out the email or uh, to schedule the tasks that they have to do in terms of like schedule a meeting with certain customers and uh, schedule a time that to look into uh, uh, the content or whatnot. The number one sales tool that almost every single company at the minimal level they should have is CRM. And there are many CIM tools out there, to be honest with you. Enterprise, they tend to use Salesforce. And then the mid-sized uh, company, there are so many out there. The pipe drive, um, um, that one I can think of <laughs> at this time. But if you do a search uh, on Google and say, hey, best CIM tool for mid-sized company, or best CIM tool for a uh, small company, or best CIM tool for the healthcare, right? Enter into the, the vertical segments or the company size and you can actually see. It's very hard for me to recommend uh, a specific um, sales tool. It really depends on what you need, what your needs are and identify what your needs are and then have the vendors come to you and talk about their capabilities. Um, then you can determine what is appropriate for you. There was an Indian company I think you've mentioned before, and I think it may be the one, the tool you use. Yes, yes. So I use Zoho, Z-O-H-O, and Mark, you are totally right. And uh, the, the company I really like is they actually are very integrated. It's kind of like uh, Microsoft created the Office Suite, right? The Office Suite has the, the Word, have Excel, and your PowerPoint. So it's kind of take care of all your basic online communication needs. And uh, think of that as Zoho. So Zoho is kind of like the Office Suite, but specifically for managing a small companies. 
right? They have a Zoho, they have a sales and marketing tools like Zoho CIM, Zoho campaigns, and they have form, they have survey, everything like in one, in one umbrella. So you don't have to go to Google form or you have to, you don't have to go to Salesforce or you have to use um, uh, SurveyMonkey surveys, right? So all that is in one place. They also have accounting software, HR tool, and also collaboration tool like project management. So it's everything into one. And I like that a lot because, because they build that suite. So there's a specific elements that will already be integrated. Does that make sense? So oh, that's the tool I use. I marked it down because I'm, using, I'm a Microsoft user and I use Microsoft Office. But I kind of think everything you described would be really valuable for me to go and use as an entrepreneur. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I appreciate your recommendation. So let's talk about your book, Global Content Marketing. In your book, you have okay. good suggestions about how startups and early stage companies should market themselves. Could you share some of those ideas? Yeah, so um, I did mention in the book in terms of, okay, global content marketing, how to scale content across the region. And when I wrote that book, I was an enterprise marketer, right? I, all my experiences tend to be on the big corporation. And obviously to do content marketing in a small startup is pretty hard. I understand. I totally understand. And um, and I started looking into, okay, how do you make that whole lot more nimble and flexible uh, for smaller company? And uh, for startup, um, obviously, if you kind of like at the early stage or uh, the, the serious A stage, you don't have a lot of money. And uh, But you need to market yourself, right? And I always make a suggestion to um, the my startup clients, um, don't spend any money on marketing <laughs> initially. Get your product right first. And then second thing is hire a great salesperson, a biz dev specifically, right? They can go out to sale. And uh, everything that you create in the early stage, especially content, should be sales-centric. It's everything you create on collaterals, marketing communication needs to help sales close deals. Right. That's the early stage. Once you get to a certain point and you got uh, several sales deals and you have some cash in the pocket, then you can start thinking about marketing. And for that, you, from my perspective, initially, you only need probably one person. Like a person can actually think and uh, in terms of what needs to be done and also can also create, like can create content very quickly. Right. And then upload it to a WordPress or send it to a social media. So you need to be very nimble and trying to find somebody is both kind of like a thinker and doer, but more on the doer side. Try to get that done and always about execution, right? And then once you build some sort of momentum, then you can build your team over time. You mentioned a raft of sales methodologies, spins, neat, snap, to name a few. How does yeah. one figure out which yeah. approach is best for the customer and the marketing sales team skill set? You know, yes, I mentioned probably like 10, 15 uh, sales methodology. And um, like you mentioned a couple of them, the most famous one is probably value selling or solution selling, right? And again, that started pretty much in the early 80s and the relevant to sell just your product. Like, oh, you know what? Buy my mainframe product. Well, mainframe, what is that? But if you're talking about solution and also value, you know what mainframe will do and talk from that perspective 
And that tend to resonate with the potential customers so much better. So that's the value selling and the solution selling. Another sales methodology that tend to be very, very popular is called challenger selling. And they divided like salespeople into like five categories. I don't remember all of them. One of them is kind of long wolf. The other one's reactive uh, problem solver. And then there's another category for challenger. So challenger follows specific methodology called teach, tailor, and control that you teach uh, the salespeople teach the prospects about what their problems are, and then they tailor their conversation to the, uh, to the problem that they, uh, the salespeople construct in a way that the, the customers understand. And then you control, then you control that conversations with your customers. So that's a very famous one or most common one when people talking about sales methodology, the challenger. To answer your question specifically in terms of what is good, I, all those tend to be pretty popular in the, you know, in this, the sales universe. And in general, the VP of sales uh, will make a decision in terms of which one they want to go after. You kind of have to look at your own sales cycles and how you sales. And then again, talk to the vendors, understanding what is the best methodology that works for you. How can salespeople better understand marketing to get the most out of marketing's <laughs> capabilities? Because I think they're like hammers and they think everything's a nail. Oh my God. Um, first of all, Mark, salespeople don't want to understand marketing. <laughs> they don't have time. And uh, I uh, try to explain marketing to them. Most of the time they were like, oh my God, can you tell me something else? Can you just tell me what content I can use and I can use it? And um, I really run any, I really run into any salespeople want to understand marketing and nothing against the salespeople um, when I say that. And I'm not bitter or negative about it. <laughs> it's just a matter they are incredibly busy and their priority is different than mine. There's probably only about two or three salespeople that will come to me and say, hey, tell me what you do, right? Very few. And the most of the time is me tailor my conversation to them. Like, I will say, hey, we are doing this co-marketing and with so-and-so, and I just want to make sure you are aware of it. And because of this effort, we create a couple pieces of content that we think that you probably can use, you know, to that extent. But if the salespeople want to understand marketing, oh my God, I would literally just fight in a dinner and then we can sit down and talk about marketing. But um, yeah. <laughs> I know. Do, do, do you think everybody who goes into sales really should maybe start marketing so they understand the strategic significance of figuring out what's the best strategy to make their lives easy and why certain tactics make sense before they actually go out and sell product in the field? And same with the marketing people, should they go and totally. be in the field selling so they have a better <laughs> sense of what the salespeople need, you know, kind of reversal of roles. Yeah. They actually yeah. Do their jobs. It's like it's like that reality show, kind of like you can change your house or you can swap your house and like you live in right. some other places and come back. And uh, yeah, in fact, if if a company can afford it, they probably should do this like role swap, right, between sales and marketing, so they can understand each other's pain points. Because um, I do agree with you in terms of. Um, the marketing people have a hard time understanding sales and uh, vice versa. If they can actually change the role a little bit, they can understand each other so much better. And a lot of time is it's, it's really mentality, Mark. Uh, salespeople, they have quota they have to meet every single month and every single quarter, quarter right? So 
comes down to uh, come down to the first of the month, it's it's another it's a new cycle. It's actually very hard for them, and I sympathize with that. To be honest with you, I didn't think about that when I supported when I was supporting sales in a very early stage. And um, to actually, to be honest with you, there is a a, a talk in the marketing sphere that uh, what if uh, marketing not taking fixed salary, but marketing also based the salary is based on bonus. If that's the case, will we change our behavior in terms of how to better support sales? So, but again, that's just a talk. <laughs> that's not implementing in many companies at all. So, is that a good idea? Um, you know what? I thought about this actually. Um, I almost made a recommendation to one of the clients, and what I did say is um, to motivate the marketing people supporting sales. We probably have to look at the the salary and the bonus structure, right? And uh, either you can, you know. I'm not saying that do exactly the same thing as the salespeople. Salespeople tend to have a lower base salary and a huge bonus, right? What I'm trying to say is, is it possible to lower the base salary a little bit? When I say this, marketing people is going to kill me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and but also amp up on the bonus structure, right? And I'm not saying that, okay, a 100% commission, that's not my point. And my point is a lot of time we are all driven or incentivized by how we've been paid. And uh, that structure actually will modify, if nothing else, or changing in terms of uh, marketing's behavior. I don't know if it's a good idea or a bad idea. I cannot tell you, but um, I, I, it's just I a thought. Think it is a good, I think it is a good idea because, you know, uh, the people who create the product, they think, shit, it sells itself. And the people who market said, my God, nobody would even know it existed. And yet the salespeople, yeah, that's a hard job for sure because yeah. yet you have to take a lot of notes. But if the product is really good, it kind of sells itself. Yeah. And then they uh, reap great benefits. Why isn't everybody all the way up and down the line uh, getting benefiting by that? You know, why are the salespeople making the most of it? I mean, I've worked with money management firms. And if you're a good money manager, you're in the top quartile. Yeah. Selling you're is selling, super easy. Selling is super easy. Yeah. So yeah. And you're making 500000 to a million dollars a year doing essentially nothing. Yeah. And if, you're, uh, and if your uh, money manager is in the lower half, you can't sell it no matter what? how great yeah. a salesperson you are because either the product sells itself, just like, you know, Apple Watches or Xerox copy machines, whatever that may be. Look at Zoom. Zoom broke away from the entire pack. Zoom is now a verb. Yeah, I and, know, and I know. Go to meeting and Teams and all the others. They're all trailing Zoom and yeah. Zoom is now the de facto standard and all they have to do is keep improving the technology and they'll own the space for the next decade. Yeah, so the things that you're talking about and I also have additional point to make and uh, Mark, you are totally right. If you are top of the pack, right? And uh, especially on the, now we are talking about sales side. You're top of the pack, the, you can, once you establish that status, yes, you can sell anything, right? And, uh, but that usually about uh, 20% of your sales force or less, 10 maybe, right? And then 70% is on the middle. Then there's a 10%, which is on the bottom. And when I talk about sales enablement is we know the top uh, 10, 15% or even 20%, they can do their job very well. And when I try to support them, I'm not necessarily supporting the top 20%. I'm supporting the middle 70%. Is how, what can I do that they can move up to that top quartile? 
So I hear you. I understand. But um, you know, there's always the attention to details and uh, and the intricacy, uh, uh, very complex intricacies when you started looking into implementation and execution. So this leads me to ask you about this, and, and this was in your book. What is the difference between sales enablement and sales operations? Yes, um, sales operation is kind of like um, any operation role. They exist so the department can function uh, effectively and uh, accordingly, right? So the sales operation is like, okay, if we need to buy a certain tools, let's buy it and, um, and let's implement it. And a lot of time they also do a lot of dashboards, right? Sales want to see how are we doing this month? They do a lot of dashboard and they more focus on the processes and also the infrastructure and they need to build up for the sales team to run effectively on a daily basis. That's a sales operation. And then for sales enablement, they really more focus on training. How can we, what kind of materials we should create so we can arm our salespeople and they can go out and sell more effectively. So you were talking about the sales methodology, type of setting, what should we use? That's more on the sales enablement side. And the, but you are talking about, oh, you know what? How do we run our 25 people team effectively day in and day out? And that's more on the sales operation. I have a question here. What is the hardest product or service you've ever had to sell and what was the outcome and what did you learn? <laughs> oh my God. The, the hardest product to sell is actually services. And uh, if you actually have a product like iPhone or even here have just a pencil, right? It's something that people can see and feel because you can, people can see and the feel and people can visualize it. It's very easy for, oh, I'm not saying very, I'm gonna take that back. It's much easier to sell the tangible product. I personally think the hardest things to sell is service. Like for, it's, if you are asking what is the hardest things to sell for me, myself, right? I offer services, I offer consultings, and uh, I offer my knowledge and expertise, but nobody can see it, only me. Right. So I have to really crystallize it or solidify it like in a way that people can relate or understand. So I've been on my own for six years because I work in a big corporation for about 20 years. And what I have come to realize is to sell the, in, uh, the tangible products is much easier than to sell the intangible things. There's no question. I agree with you, too. In fact, I once uh, did consulting work for a guy who had run a $6 billion division of AT&T and then ran a, a, a $3 billion software company. And he went out on his own consulting. He said, you know, it's the most unpredictable business I've ever been in. He said, every year, I have no idea how much money I'm going to make, <laughs> what clients I'm going to have. Even if I have a contract, I have no idea if they're going to you know, stay with the contract I totally agree. the whole year. And I said, I've been doing it, at that point, I had been doing it 25 years. And I said, it is totally unpredictable yeah. uh, what that will be. Because even if you sign a year contract and you're six months into it, and the company decides, you know what, we're not getting- Don't help. need your help. Yeah. Yeah. Then they, what are you going to do? You're not going to sue them. You're not going to sue them. them. Because, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
And so in, in consulting in particular, because I've written six books and one of my books was on consulting for Entrepreneur Press. And I, I say to people, you have to take on more clients than you can handle because there's always somebody coming and going no matter what you do or how well you do it. And a lot of it is, am I comfortable with this person? Yeah, because I 100% agree. a lot of times you deal with a lot of lack of logic with people when they're hiring services. And sometimes you meet people who are in services and you go, I don't even know how they make a living. <laughs> they're just not that smart. And, and they do. And so you're right. I think the hardest thing to go and sell by far are services over a product. Because if you go in an Apple store, the salesperson has to do nothing. nothing. You can't you you can show them the product, right? I mean, it. it's like, okay, let me show you this magical product. <laughs> yeah, right. I remember I was working with an entrepreneur and she was looking for a salesperson. And I said, we need somebody who sold something that no one ever heard of before. And she said, you know, what do you mean? And I said, well, you're interviewing all these people from Hewlett Packard. And she ended up hiring a guy from Bloomberg. I said, Bloomberg sells itself. Yeah. Somebody comes in and they've already are predisposed to buying the Bloomberg terminal. You need somebody who's actually sold something nobody has ever heard I of. 100%. That's such a nice, that's such a wonderful insight, Mark. That's wonderful. Yeah, I agree with you. That's the hardest part. If, like you can sell stuff that nobody has heard before and make a living yeah. out of it. Oh my God. Holy grail. Yeah. I, I was all predisposed to hiring this woman who had built a $30 million company selling something that was totally original. And she said, yeah, yeah, but I think I'm gonna go with the guy with Bloomberg. And, and the company ended up, she ended up losing a million dollars and the company went out of business. <gasps> no. and, and that's because she really wasn't understanding. You know, if you'd run a lot of startups, you really understood yeah. how these people who work for large companies, unless they've migrated and worked for a startup, startup. no one's yeah. heard of Yeah, before. I hear you. And even when you work for um, a startup, unless they have a superior product and it, and when people look at it, go, oh my God, this is amazing. Because I remember I was at a trade show once and there was somebody and they were literally taking it out of the box to set up the trade show. And they had a device that would take five computers in a house and be like a Dropbox for it. I forget what the product was called, but they were telling me about this. And I said, and it's a wireless device and you put it in your house and everybody can have their own place on this hard drive? Yes. And every keystroke is collected? Yes. I want to buy it now. Like he, he hadn't even set up his business. <laughs> he doesn't even have a credit card. So another group said, I can lend you my credit card thing. We can settle up later. And I literally bought, bought it, it yeah. on the spot because it sold itself. Self. I mean, I sell, I always say to people, um, you, nobody ever sells you, you sell yourself yeah. on whatever. That I, I 100% agree with that. Like nobody will sell you, you have to sell yourself. And uh, that's why I'm incredibly active on social media channels and, um, you know, try to put myself out there. And sometimes I fumble, you know, everybody does. Like everybody does. Yeah, so, yeah, but you know what? You just pick up your feet, keep moving, keep moving. Yeah. <laughs> One, st one foot in front of the other. So, you know, because you work for Intel and you've worked for big technology companies, what's the biggest mistake marketing and salespeople make when selling a, tech, uh, a, a complex technology product? Um, I think the biggest one, there, there are many. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, the biggest one is always that the big uh, complex uh, uh, products is what, how do we position that product? 
Like, you know, for example, the iPod, right? Steve Jobs was a genius. Oh, you can put 1,000 songs in this device, right? So it positioned itself very nicely, right? And uh, like, for example, we sell the processor for server. There's always an internal debate in terms of how do we position it? And to be honest with you, I always feel like we end up positioning it that it's not saying the stuff so clearly that people can really understand. You know, what we can probably say is microprocessor for server. But obviously you have to go in a little bit detail to explain what that is for the server. You know, it's for the high performance servers or whatnot. I think the hardest part, and I don't think it's a mistake, it's more or less like how can we position the product in a way that the product can sell, can sell itself. And you use the word sell itself multiple times, right? The product needs to be solid to start with, just like you said, right? Solve the, a certain customer's problems and solve it very, very nicely and quickly. And that then, then after that, the product is solid. Then the next thing is what can we say and how should we say it? And I always feel that uh, most of the marketers take that positioning, you know, like very lightly. I don't think they spend a lot of time thinking about it. They more spending more time. They spend more time thinking about the creative. Oh, you know what the creative will look like. Oh, you know yeah, what kind of what's the totally. campaigns. Oh, we need to do an event in New York City. But that they are that's so important. Don't take me wrong. But the things that really struck me, or at least I will spend more time between sales and marketing if I actually work with them, is how do we position that product? What's the best way to do it? That's the, time, that's the thing I, I feel that a lot of the, the, the companies kind of feel short, including myself. And I'm not like saying that, pointing finger to the others and saying I'm doing a better job. No, I, I, I'm not. In fact, to, to, to work for myself in the past five years, just elaborate a little bit more. Sorry, Mark. Um, I change my value propositions almost every single year. That doesn't mean, you know, it's not like, oh, I have the slogan like Nike, just do it. And I change that every year. No, because I, my knowledge has enhanced, right? I started with the global content marketing, which is I market myself and position myself as a content marketer, right? And I say, I help to create content uh, for you so your customers can engage. Well, that's actually not bad. But now I'm looking into how marketers can better support sales. Then that specific statement really doesn't apply anymore. Right. So I changed my uh, positioning, you know, how to uh, build the marketing alignments between sales and the marketing to increase your revenue. Well, same thing. Right. So I, I gave a lot of thought in terms of how I'm making that transition and uh, what is my value proposition. I, I am thinking about that all the time. The, the, the social media, you know, outreach, promoting myself, speaking, all those are important. But the thing is, I need to have that one thing that ground me and tell people who I am. And I think that is something that sales and marketing need to think about all the time. No question about it. One of the things people always are talking about is branding and some marketers believe a company becomes a brand because people identify with what you do, but others believe you can create a brand from scratch. What's your view on branding and how do you do it meaningfully? You know, um, the way like for a long time for our generation, Mark, you and me, obviously, like when we talk about brand and always a logo. We're not Generation Xers? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> we are millennials. <laughs> That's what yeah. I'm trying to say. <laughs> Both of us look like we're 29. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, 
the, the for, long, for a long time that when we talk about brand, a lot of people's vision is always like the the logo, like the Nike, the IBMs, the Intel. And um, but now the the, the the brand has kind of been merged is what people say about you, especially with the rise of social media and digital marketing. Right. And uh, it's not just the brand. Uh, it's not just a logo anymore. It's not just a tagline. It's what people say and they feel and experience about you. Right. When you are thinking about Ikea, the things I'm thinking about is the showroom on the second floor that I walk. Through, yeah. Right. So. Um, so when I was thinking about brand, so the, because it was like a showroom that you walk uh, on the floor and I was thinking about experience, the experience I had whenever I go to Ikea, right? And uh, to be yeah. honest with you, the furniture quality is not the best, right? And, but that's what you pay for, right? But the design was great, right? So um, when I'm thinking about brand, so now it's not just about that logo anymore, it's that experience that you create for your customers. So brand at this time is what people say about you and also what kind of experience you want to play, you want to create for your customers online and offline. And that including a lot of things, that including how does your website look like, that including your logo, that including me, for example, if I'm branding myself, like I'm talking to you, right? Like the setting in the back, how I set things up and um, my hair, all right, what I'm talking about and, um, and the room that what what do I want to convey? Does that make sense? Of course. And things get a whole lot more complicated when you are online, right? And there's a lot of details you have to think it through. And the way I see it, it's like I am the stylist, right? I'm a personal dresser, like say for Jennifer Gardner. And Jennifer Gardner needs to go to Oscar, right? So I am her personal dresser. I have to think through like you know, what a hair will look like, what kind of accessory we need to use, what kind of dress that she needs to wear, what shoes, and- uh, How she wants to present how, herself. Exactly, that's what brain is. And there's a lot of detail. When you are talking, you want to dress a person, right? And then, then there's a lot of detail when you want to dress your website. So the brand is experience. But in the digital world, there's a lot of detail you have to think. Yeah, through. And, and I think like you said before, uh, you have to understand who you're marketing to. You know, if you're marketing to manufacturers yeah. that make screwdrivers and hammers, you're not gonna have this opulent website. It's gonna be down and dirty because that's how they are. Yeah, totally agree. But it's still experience, oh, without right? Question. If you are selling a lot of screw, but you, if that's assume you make that an e-commerce yeah. site or you want to show your product, you still need to make sure that product are shown nicely. Right, the images are high resolution. Oh, Does that make course. sense? So it doesn't have to be gorgeous, like sexy, mm -hmm. but it needs to be represent your products in a very professional. No question, way. and that makes a statement about you. How can you identify um, the difference between a trend and a fad, and, and give an example? Because you talk about fad. that in your book. Yeah, I did. I did. So. Um, the example I use is ARVR, which is augmented reality and virtual reality. Facebook, uh, Mark Zuckerberg actually did um, uh, kind of like ARVR date probably last week and talking about uh, the next generation of their uh, ARVR uh, platform called Quest. And um, it's actually a goggle, but once you wear the goggle, you are entered into the virtual reality realm. 
right? And it make, it's actually very real. I use it. It's like if you are like wearing that and you are looking down and then on the cliff looking down at the cool. Grand Canyon, it's very, very real. And uh, so that is the trend. So moving forward, right, we, we are longing for that uh, 3D experience, right? It's going to move and transition our current 2D experience to 3D, right? right? So FAD is like, for example, Pokemon. Yeah. Pokemon, so Mike, do you play Pokemon Mike, ever? My daughter was a Pokemon aficionado, my younger daughter. <laughs> I bought everything so Pokemon, was- including, uh, you know, uh, clothing and everything else for her. very good i played pokemon for like three or four months i went to a like level level 17 so what they did what they did is pretty much you can have a pokemon a character overlaid with like uh, the real environment augmented reality right so you can actually when you are inside that platform and then you are just using your phone and then you kind of uh, showed uh, using your camera to show uh, the current environment and then you play Pokemon, you can actually overlay like a Pokemon character on top of it, right? So that is kind of like using AR um, as a part of a uh, feature for that app. And to me, that's great. But to, that to me is not trend. Yeah, Does that make sense? That's yeah. just something that a lot of people say, oh, that's a trend, you know, for the future yeah. gaming industry. I don't know about that. That's not a trend, that's yeah, bad. 100%. Right? So that, do you see the difference between the yeah. two? Yeah. In the book, you talk about empowering buyers. Right now, it seems to me that the buyer is in total control uh, because of the internet. <laughs> Can you please elaborate? Yeah, so, you know, there is a study basically said like 57% of the buyers will do their research and actually have a very solid understanding of what they want before they contact sellers. So in the past, right, and uh, the before the internet era, like a lot of time, the, 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 the customers get the information directly from the sales team, right? Sales team share the information, tell them what their products are, and the knowledge is not necessarily fully uh, transferable, right? And, unless somebody tell you, right? But internet obviously break that, and uh, knowledge is prevalently available, I mean, literally, you want to learn code, you can learn code, you don't have to go to college, right? And uh, if you want to learn uh, how to draw, guess what? You not necessarily have to go to our studio locally, you can also learn that on YouTube. And because the knowledge is so prevalent, and uh, I wouldn't say free, but you can get a a fairly decent knowledge, therefore, people tend to educate themselves before they contact sellers. So as, a, as a, a salesperson, you cannot just go there and do your typical sales pitch. You need to understand what kind of knowledge that person has and you tailor your pitch to that person. And uh, so with that being said, you know, there's a lot of conversation basically in the industry. Oh, you know what? The buyers have a control and the sellers don't. I'm not necessarily agree with that statement, to be honest with you. The thing is, you, you are right, as us, you and I, we are customers, we are consumers, we have total control what we want to read, what we want to consume. But the sellers or the brands also have a control. They have a control what they can share with you, right? If they want to promote certain piece of content, they have a pay media dollars behind it, they can promote it. So in a way that the media people or the brands, they still have a control. They cannot control what you see, but they can control to be syndicated to certain places that you are. Does that uh, make sense? 100%. So, 
So I, I'm not 100% in agreement that, oh, you know what, the buyer is in 100% in control. There's a certain things that brands or the marketers can do to influence their decision. Yes, the control is in, that they have a control in terms of what they want to consume. I get that. But you also have a control and influence in terms of what you want to do and share that information with them and, 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 and then allocate your media dollars effectively. Same, hence why you have an Apple phone and I have a Samsung. You know, the Samsung people <laughs> did a good job of selling me and everybody said, no, you're crazy. You should get an Apple. But Samsung is actually outsold Apple and, and Samsung has phenomenal apps and it's a great phone. Uh, for that, but you're right. I mean, certainly their way of marketing and getting to me and, and pushing me in that direction was what got me to buy their product. Would you say? Yes, Mark. Yeah. Can I can I add yes, additional point on that? So, Samsung has done a fantastic and a phenomenal job, by the way, and it got me too, by the way. And uh, so I had a conversation with my husband. So in my household, we are like divided, okay? <laughs> like a Republican yeah. Democrat. And um, like my oldest child and uh, my husband, Android platform. Me, my youngest child, Mac, Apple platform. So like we cannot even reach a freaking agreement <laughs> on which platform to use in my household. No kidding. And um, so I was, I always watch commercials. Not that I love commercials, I don't. But I watch commercials just to understand what their talking points are, you know, what's their creative development. And I have to tell you, Samsung's commercials, fabulous. I almost switch, almost. <laughs> Haven't got me yet. I almost switch last year. Yeah. I, so, just wanted to share that yeah, with you, Mark. So, and they do a good job of it. Uh, uh, how yeah, is your analytics affecting marketing and sales decisions today? Oh yeah, a lot. Um, you know, the analytics and the dashboard tend to be very critical on sales side. You know, you either met your quota or you didn't meet your quota, right? I mean, it's black and white, right? So the dashboard has always been very critical on, on sales side. I, I would say lassoed uh, in the marketing because if you focus on the top of the funnel and you are building a brand awareness, you are building awareness. Sometimes it's very hard to track, you know, to quantify the ROI of awareness, right? Unless you can bring that down. And, uh, but now you have to, well, we have to all understand everything we do here is trackable. Like you put a like that has been tracked. You retweet that has been tracked. So everything that you do on digital, everything you do, including you upload a picture like in your photo library that you are not sharing. Everything you do is tracked somewhere. Because it's tracked, the marketers need to understand that because somebody is always tracking something, you need to understand the data has been, it's there. And you need to find a way to kind of mine that data and analyze that data. Analytics is super, super critical. Uh, in the field of marketing, especially digital marketing. Moving forward, if you cannot do analytics, you cannot be marketers. Simple as that. Uh, so. What are the key trends leaders should be aware of that are changing sales? Um, there are two from my perspective. Number one is artificial intelligence. 
And uh, when I say that term, everybody was thinking about Terminator, you know, thinking about, I mean, R2D2. And but the, when I'm talking about artificial intelligence and I'm talking about kind of embedded into our devices, is machine learning. Obviously, now machine can learn in terms of our behaviors or learn what we do and then try to predict uh, what we will do next. And uh, for example, you you look at the Spotify music or you look at Amazon Prime. Everybody's Amazon Prime member almost. And uh, you buy something, they always have a recommendation what you should buy next, right? That's machine learning at work. That's really artificial intelligence in work, right? You talk to Suri, hey, Suri, and I go, ha huh right? That's artificial intelligence at work. It's really machine trying to learn your behavior and the machine will give you the answer you need. So with that being said, artificial intelligence is already very prevalent within our life. A lot of people say, oh, I'm afraid of artificial intelligence. I was like, what are you talking about? You are using it every day. And uh, so now let's think about it. That's the consumer applications, everything I, I just said. Imagine taking that into the business side, right? And uh, maybe the artificial intelligence can uh, recognize and predict the intent of your buyers. Like they con you consume multiple different contents on the website, you try to contact the salespeople and artificial intelligence can actually predict what is your intent. And maybe even give you a score like, hey, there is a 75% that Mark is gonna convert. And the Pam came, uh, came to our website and these are the couple of things that she sees, eh, she's not gonna convert 50%, right? So you can actually use artificial intelligence to gauge the intent of a person. Not that the AI would do it right every single time, but it certainly can have that uh, capability. And the other thing uh, is the voice activation. Right. For the longest time, for about 25 years of the internet is always text driven. Now, slowly in the past four or five years, almost uh, that Amazon Echo and Google Homes are entering the household, right? Now we are using the voice activation to actually talk to a machine. Alexa, do this. Alexa, remind me this. Alexa, this. Alexa, that, right? That is literally, again, it's all right. Stop, Alexa. <laughs> My Alexa just responded. Anyway, um, stop, Alexa. Anyway, with that being said, you need to understand that the, vo the voice activation will have impact on the business front as well. So what would that be? And uh, as a marketers and sales, how can you take advantage of it? Now that you have to change your behavior today, but there's something to think about as part of your annual planning. What are the key trends you're seeing in marketing? Um, I would say very similar as well, but another thing um, I have, I think is, it's not necessarily a trend, it's more or less the senior management's request. Remember I said that everything we do in the digital marketing is trackable, right? Especially when they come to your website, your clicks, the content you consume, whatever you do is, it's, people are tracking you. You know, the big brother is watching. And uh, the, the trend I see, um, because everything is trackable, and I ran into this actually with one of my clients, a VP of sales, just basically plainly asking me, so now you're telling me everything is trackable. Why can't my marketing people tell me the ROI and also their impact on my revenue? That's a fantastic question. You know, as a marketer, if everything is tracking trackable right now, how can we build a system to show that we have an impact on the sales side? So the, the, the trend I see is you really need to define your, you need to articulate your contribution, your ROI very well, 
otherwise, you know, whenever there's a downside or a recession, the marketing's budget is always is the first one get cut. So you really need to demonstrate the value. And it is. It's stupid, but it's always the thing that gets Is that amazing? First, Seriously? Which doesn't, which doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's, it's the last thing it should be cut. I see it now from my own marketing practice that people start cutting marketing budgets. And I'm like, yeah, but every month you don't market. That means you're six months to a year away from landing the sale. So, I 100% agree. Yeah. So why would you uh, do that? I just had that experience with a professional service firm. And they said, well, we want to wait till COVID's over. Okay, but by the time COVID's over, all the client, you know, the clients you were hoping to get will be snapped up by other people <laughs> who are making sure that they stay in, in, yeah. uh, in people's minds. Once you disappear, yeah. you're gone. And it's just like, you know, just like exercise. Out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, out of mind. Yeah, I mean, if you, you know, they say is if you are in top tip, top condition and you stop exercising, uh, for two weeks, use 25% of your muscle. If you stop exercising for six weeks, an entire year's worth of work just disappears. Mark, that is so well said. That is yeah. so well said. So my last question to you is, how important is it for CEOs to either have marketing or sales or both skills to succeed in this global fast-paced environment? Um, you know... That's a good question. I mean, if you are CEO, to be honest with you, I have known some CEO are natural, natural salespeople, incredibly natural. Like they sell their stuff like no one else. And uh, I have seen some CEO, they have a very good communication skills and um, they, they know uh, that how to be marketing savvy. I always have this thought being on my own for six years and marketing myself. And like I said, marketing myself is a very difficult job, especially my offering is service, right? Consulting, knowledge, expertise. And I come to realize, and this is just me walking, uh, walking that journey, that uh, everybody needs to be a marketer, including salespeople. 100%. In the digital world nowadays, you need to learn not just to how to market your product, you need to know, know how to market yourself. In a way, everybody needs to be a marketer. And it's not like, oh my God, you, you have to start creating commercial or you have to be a creative person. No, it's how you position yourself and uh, how to get what you want. <laughs> that sounds bad. Like how my uh, sons always come to me. Right, that's, we and learned that they as want kids. If they want something, my youngest child always think, like how, when is the best time to talk to mom? And when can I, what should I say that she will say yes? Yeah. And my oldest child was like, never take that into consideration. Just barge into my room and say, I want this now. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's like totally different approach. So um, I personally think that everybody needs to learn to be a marketer. Oh. Well said. Well said. Well, thank you so much. You were terrific. I really enjoyed interviewing you and I look forward to hearing about your next book. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Wonderful. And thank you so much, so much for inviting me. A pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Best Business Minds. Tune in every Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time for our live recordings. Go to www.thebestbusinessminds.com for more information and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter to be kept up to date with our upcoming guests and other bonus material. See you next time.